Lesson number 103, Surah At-Tawbah, ayah number 16 to 28. Am hasibtum or do you all think? Have you supposed? Have you thought? And tutraku that you all will be left, meaning in the state that you are in. You will be left as is. Walamma wa while lamma not yet. Ya'lam, he knows, he has known, Allahu Allah, alladheena, those who, jahadu, they strove, minkum from you. You think you will be left in the condition that you are in, untested? While Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not yet seen the people who will really strive in His way, walam and not, yattakhidu, they made, min dunillahi, besides Allah, وَلَا رَسُولِهِ And nor his messenger وَلَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And nor the believers وَلِيجَةً Any intimate Meaning, you think you will be left untested while Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not observed who is it that will take Allah, his messenger and the believers as his intimate, closest friends. Meaning his love entirely is for who? Allah and those who believe in him. His commitment is with who? Allah and those who believe in Him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to see. Wallahu khabirun. And Allah is aware bima ta'amaloon of whatever that you do. Meaning He's watching you. So He is observing who is it that will struggle in His way and who is it that will prove His friendship and His love for Allah to be the most. Now, look at the word hasibtum. Hasibtum is from the root letters hasinba. And hasibtum basically means to suppose something, to think of something in one's heart about which one hopes will be fulfilled, meaning it will come true. It's not actually true, but a person thinks that hopefully it will happen, it will be fulfilled. But Allah says over here that do you think that you will not be tested? You want that you are not tested. You want that you are allowed to live in peace and comfort. But the thing is that you as believers are definitely going to be examined, tested through difficult situations. Allah is going to see who strives and who doesn't. Allah is going to see who truly loves Allah and who doesn't. What do we see here? That every single servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is tested. In Surah Al-Baqarah we learned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will definitely test everybody. And we see that Muslims, non-Muslims, despite the level of faith of a person, every single individual is tested. Through health, through sickness. right? Through wealth, through poverty. Through happiness, through sadness. Every single person is tested in some way or the other. And we see that believers are tested in additional ways. Because they have an extra blessing. And what is that blessing? Of Iman. And remember that with every blessing, the level of tests increases. The number of tests increases. Like for example, education. Is that a blessing? Is that a blessing? Yes. Now, the higher you want to go, all right, the more education you want to get, aren't you going to be tested more? Definitely. I mean, think about a child that goes to kindergarten. Is he tested? No. But a person who is in high school, is he tested? Yeah. And when you go to university, then what happens? More and more tests, right? And if a person wants to go into, let's say, medical profession, more and more tests, and they just never end. 
I mean, you hear about someone who started studying medicine and years later you find out that they're still struggling to take some test or some exam, right? Some certification. Why? Because the higher you want to go, the more you are going to be tested. Correct? So likewise, when a person has iman, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests him with regards to his faith also. And remember that the people who are tested the most severely are who? Who are they? The prophets. Why? Because they have the blessings of this life, tangible, physical, worldly blessings. In addition to that, they have the blessing of iman. And in addition to that, they have the blessing of prophethood. And this is the reason why they are the ones who are tested most severely. Now over here, what do we see? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is addressing the believers. That you think you'll be left as is? No. Allah is going to test you. He is going to test you with respect to your faith. With respect to your faith. And many times you'll observe this. Perhaps in your own life also. Or perhaps in people who are close to you. That before, when they weren't that serious about their religion, everything was working. Fine. But the moment they started doing something about their religion, then they're suffering from financial problems, they're suffering from health issues, they're suffering from family problems. Right? Why is that so? That when a person goes more into deen, his tests increase, Allah is testing his faith. Allah is checking the level of his commitment. I remember once a pediatrician mentioned that he observed that majority of the children who have some serious illness come from more religious families. This was his observation. That families that are more religious, it is their children who tend to have serious health issues, health concerns. I mean, this is not like a general rule, but this is just something that he observed in his profession. And when I heard about this, I was amazed. Because the thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests people in different ways, right? But the people with iman, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests them a little bit more. A little bit more. Why? What's the benefit? What's the purpose of the tests? Many things. First of all, in order to strengthen the faith. Right? Because when you haven't suffered for something, you don't really value it. If you think about it, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have made the process of having babies very easy for mothers and for fathers. Right? But the mother is made to go through the difficulties of pregnancy. Right? Of labor. Correct? She knows how much she has been through for that child. And that difficulty, what does that increase in the heart of the mother? Resentment for the baby? No, only love. Because she knows how much she has gone through for that baby, to have that baby. So the thing is that the more you strive for something, the more you value it. If it comes easy, it goes easy. Isn't it? Which is why we see that many times people who adopt a child, or let's say a child in foster care, they can't handle the child, what do they do? Return, send away to somebody else, pack him off elsewhere. Why? Can't deal with him. But if it's your own child, will you not put up with it? Will you not put up with it? You will. You'll do anything for that child. Why? Because he's got your blood. You know what you went through to have that baby. So there are many benefits why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts a believer to test with respect to his faith. And over here we learn two things. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to observe in us two things. First of all, who will strive in his way? Who will strive in his way? Who will do jihad? Who will come out of his comfort and respond to the need of the situation? Meaning what the situation demands from him. Think about it. When the Prophet ﷺ did hijrah to Medina, the Muslims gathered from so many places, eventually they had a home. Had they not struggled a lot already in order to get there? Were they not already hurting and suffering financially, physically, emotionally? Were they not suffering already? Yes, they were. Now, finally when they had a home, could Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not make the situation such that the mushrikeen never came to fight with them? They just left them and the Muslims could live in peace? Huh? It could have happened, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all capable. The Prophet ﷺ made the treaty with the Yahud. They were on good terms initially. Could that not continue forever? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted, definitely. And could Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not send wealth to His Messenger, to those who believed, so that they could have big houses in Medina, comfortable lives? Could they not have that finally? Did they not deserve it after 13 years of persecution? Of course they deserved it. But what do we see? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed the mushrikeen. Doesn't mean that He sent them. He allowed them to oppose the Muslims. He allowed the Yahud to oppose the Muslims. He allowed the munafiqeen to hurt the Muslims from within. Why? Because through all of these situations, what was happening? The Muslims were facing challenges. Right? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not allow any of this to happen, they weren't tested. Right? Then no challenges. Okay? No challenges, then what would happen to the Muslims? They would live comfortably in Medina. Alright, they would go for their salah in the masjid, fast the month of Ramadan, enjoy peaceful lives, have fun. And then Islam would only remain where? In Medina. And over the course of years, what would happen? It would dwindle away, like so many things do. Correct? But we see that with every challenge that came, whether it was from within Medina, from the Jews, or from the Makkans, what happened? With every challenge, the Muslims got closer to their victory. You understand? If the Makkans did not come for Badr, if they did not come for Uhud, if they did not come for the Battle of Trench, if the Treaty of Hudaybiyah did not happen, if the matter between the Khuzara and Banu Bakr did not happen, do you think that the Muslims would go to Makkah in order to conquer Makkah? Would that happen? No. So we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tests us to see who is going to strive and who is not going to strive. Who is going to come out of his comfort and prefer the religion over his personal life. And the one who will strive, get out of his comfort, prefer the religion, strive in the way of Allah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will lead him to success and victory. This is just like if there's a person who's studying in med school, alright? They are studying and then they say, you know what, I don't want to take any tests. Why do we have these tests and exams? If they don't have them, if they don't go through them, can they become a doctor? Can they become a specialist? They cannot. So with every challenge, you have one of two choices. Either you rise up to the challenge, face it, do jihad, strive, or you say, uh-uh, I can't do it. I'm happy the way I am. 
I have a bachelor's degree and that's sufficient for me. I don't want to bother becoming a doctor. Correct? So you have these two choices. If you rise up to the challenge, you face it, what will happen? You'll go higher. And if you say, I don't want to do this, then what's going to happen? You're going to remain behind while the rest of the people are going to get ahead of you. Correct? So this is what we see here with respect to faith also. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will definitely examine and test the believers. You know, sometimes we might wonder that why is it that so many Muslims, and not just Muslims, people in general are suffering all over the world. Isn't it so? They're suffering in the most horrible ways, really. I mean, think about children freezing to death. Think about people starving. The other day somebody posted a picture on Twitter of this man, of how he was before the conflict in Syria. And how, over the course of these years, his health has declined, and basically he was dead. Starved to death. Starved to death. And all over the world, in different ways, you see people suffering. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants people to suffer? Is that the reason? No. These are situations in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala observes people. How do they react? What do they do? Who's going to strive, going to take that extra step to help others, to help those who are suffering, to do something to create peace, to do something to establish justice? And who's going to say, oh, it's got nothing to do with me. You know, I'm in Canada anyway, so I can't do anything. I can't even make dua because I have too many problems in my own life that I can barely think about making dua for myself. How can I make dua for others? These situations that happen, remember, while others are tested, those who are within that situation, we are also tested. Those who are not suffering directly, we are also tested. That what do we do? Do we think about making people aware of this crisis? whatever crisis it may be, do we pray for them? Do we have any concern for them? Or are we too comfortable in our lives? We're too busy in our lives that we don't have time to even think about those who are suffering. In a hadith, don't we learn that on the day of judgment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ask a servant, I was hungry, you didn't give me food. I was sick and you didn't come to see me. And the person will say, Ya Allah, you, how is it possible? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say, my servant was sick and you didn't go to see him. If you had gone to see him, you would have found me there. Meaning you would have attained closeness to me by going to visit your suffering brother. So what do we learn? That when people are suffering, whether it is us who are suffering or others who are suffering, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching that what do we do? Do we do jihad? Do we strive? To help those in need? Or do we just sit back and just relax in our own lives watching television and eating popcorn? What do we do? There are people who, when they find out about children who don't have access to clean water, they will you know, create a movement literally. I remember reading up about a child years ago, I think it was in Reader's Digest that I read, about this child who found out that in Africa, in some place, children don't have water. He was so disturbed by that, that he collected so much money as a child in order to go to Africa in that village somewhere. And 
he had a well dug over there. He had water provided for children. Now think about it. We hear about these news all the time. But what are we doing? We can only be concerned about the jacket that we want to buy, the shoes we want to buy, the test that is going to happen tomorrow, the assignment that is due next week. We're too comfortable in our own lives. We're too preoccupied with our first world problems. And what are they? Which food do I eat? Which tea should I have? Right? Which clothes should I buy? Which artwork should I put? These are our concerns. There are people who don't know if they're going to get food the next moment. And what are we concerned about? What clothes am I going to wear to this next event? We have become very selfish. We have forgotten that jihad is something that is necessary for us. I don't mean by jihad that everybody has to go to battle. No, jihad is in different ways. And alhamdulillah, you know about that. Jihad is to struggle, to put in one's maximum effort, whatever a person can do. Strive in order to do what? In order to remove a hurdle, a problem that's in your way. Like you know when there's so much snow, then what happens? The snow plows, they just come one after the other and remove the snow. Correct? And then the roads become, what happens to the roads? They are clear. And when there are problems in this world, then what is jihad? That you strive and struggle against them and remove them so that people can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in peace. They can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in peace. They can learn the deen. They can practice the deen. But if we're too concerned about our clothes and our shoes and our popcorn, then when are we going to be concerned about the snow that's falling outside? The storm that is outside? The people who are freezing to death in the cold? We don't strive in our own communities. How can we strive for people who are suffering in other parts of the world? In our own lives, we don't care about people who may be suffering in our own houses. If we have an elderly grandparent, we think they're a burden. They should already move to an old people's house. This is what we think. If we have a brother or sister who's sick, we take them as a burden. Any test that comes in our life, we don't want to deal with it because we're too happy in our lives, too comfortable in our lives. And remember, we are failing the test quite miserably. Aisha? One day me and my sister were discussing the same thing that nowadays I think the hearts are becoming so hard that you don't cry for nothing. Even if you hear the news of someone died, you're still so normal. And we're talking about this and you're saying when we were young, I remember back home, If we heard the news of someone died, like in our neighborhood or someone, we used to cry. We were little, but we used to cry so much. And hearts now, were soft. Yeah, hearts were soft. And now if we even hear news of someone died in our family, it's like no big it's deal. It's just news. It's not a big deal at all. So what is necessary then? What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want from us? What does He want from us? From this ayah, what do we learn? To prove... That we care. We care for who? For those around us. For the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For those who are suffering. And you don't prove that you care for someone by just talking. Or by just sitting in your home and remembering them. You prove that you care by doing jihad. By struggling. By striving. 
Assalamualaikum. Um, it said that you can't stay in one position at one, like your faith can't stay in the same position. Either you're going up and getting better and striving, or you're just slipping lower and lower. Yes. Iman is always either increasing or decreasing. It doesn't remain in one place. It's not stagnant. Yes. Assalamualaikum. It's just a small thing that came into my mind. I'm relating these ayahs with the previous ayahs we learned about war prisoners, that being a good Muslim means being helpful to everyone and being compassionate, being empathetic to everyone. So if we show our good ikhlaq and our nature to help others, it's also a way of preaching our religion, to presenting us in front of others that a good Muslim should be like this. Yes. So it's another way to promoting our religion. Thank you so much. Just the other day I met the sister who's very active in the community over here. And she was telling me about the different kinds of problems that just the Muslims are facing in the city of ours. Just the Muslims. We're barely reaching out to those who are close to us. How can we think about reaching out to those who are far from us? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows these situations to happen, not just so that we sit and watch, but so that we rise and do something. Assalamu alaikum. I just remembered a lecture from Dr. Taufik Chaudhry. He was saying how he went to visit his teacher once and his teacher was ill. So he asked his wife, he's like, how come he's ill? And she's like, don't you know that whenever something happens in, in any part of the Muslim world, if somebody's hurt or there's corruption going on, he gets ill. And then she narrated how, I think there was a saying where how the whole Muslim ummah is like one body. And if one body's affected, the whole body is affected. So he was saying how his teacher, if he heard any news in any any part of the Muslim world, if a country is going through problems, he himself would get sick just by hearing that. Allah. I mean, think about it. If we have you know, something stressful happening in our lives, do we suffer from that stress? Is it evident in the form of a headache or in the form of heart issues or you know, whatever it may be? Is it not evident? In so many ways. But we, if we're happy... We're happy because we got something. And if we're sad, we're sad because we didn't get something. We're only concerned about ourselves. We're not concerned about others. In the Quran, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the believers who were in Medina to rise up and go for battle against the enemy that's coming against you, one of the things that was mentioned was that why would you not do that when there are people who are oppressed, suffering in Makkah? How can you live in peace and happiness in Medina while your own brothers and sisters are being persecuted in Makkah? Aren't you going to do something to save them? Assalamualaikum. I think that today we're just um, like bombarded with a lot of news and like there's just too much information that we are aware of, like too much suffering. And sometimes it's not that we're selfish, but it's like like you're kind of drowning in hopelessness. So it's that you also have to have hope. Yes. You know what the issue is? Like we learned earlier that when a person hears about something and the heart is moved and you want to do something, then what should you do? Respond. Do it. Why? Because if you delay, then what happens? The heart hardens. You get used to it. It doesn't motivate you anymore. You lose that passion. Right? So this is what happens with us. We hear about People, you know, dying out of hunger in one place. And people, you know, drowning in the water in one place. And what happens? We hear, we say, oh my God, oh my God. And we move on. We don't even make dua for them. 
I mean, the least, the least we can do is make dua for the people who are suffering. But tell me, did you make dua for the people who are suffering today? Did you make dua for them yesterday? What if you were in that situation? Wouldn't you want somebody to at least pray for you? Have you ever seen pictures of children in Syria? Have you ever seen them? Have you ever seen pictures of how those streets were before the conflict and after the conflict? I'm not saying he is right, he is wrong. I'm just talking about the innocents who are suffering in the way. Did you make dua for them? At least dua. If we're not even making dua for the people who are suffering, what are we going to say to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tomorrow? What are we going to say? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to get up and do something. Do jihad. Rise. Strive to help. Recently somebody sent me a video, and I believe it was covered by the BBC also, about this group of Muslims, doctors and professionals who collect the aid, and they go to Syria, and they deliver the aid, and literally they are operating, and they are helping the people who are wounded and injured. This is what they're doing. And these are people who are, you know, going out of their comfort. I'm not saying that every single one of you should go, but can we at least give five dollars for children who don't have any winter clothing? Just the other day, I received an email from Islamic Relief in which they had mentioned about how much they had distributed in December and January. And I was shocked about the number of socks that were distributed the number of sweaters, the number of jackets that were distributed. I don't think there were enough at all. But the thing is that we don't want, we don't want to aid others. Because if we really wanted to, we would have found a way. We would have certainly found a way. If you want something for yourself, you will drive to the States, to an outlet mall, and buy it cheaper over there. Won't you do that? Won't you do that? There are people who do that all the time. They won't shop here. They will drive for three hours, five hours, ten hours because they want to go to the best outlet mall at the best time of the year to get the best deals. We strive so much to fulfill our desires. Desires. And we don't strive for people who are suffering so much that their basic needs are not being met. So the few things that we can do is at least make dua for the people who are suffering. At least spend a little bit of money to help those who need. A little bit of money. You know when it comes to people who are suffering, then it doesn't matter whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim. It is our obligation as human beings, as those who have iman, those who have at least soft hearts because of iman, to help those in need. In Suratul Insan, we learn, وَيُطْعِمُونَ الطَّعَامِ They give food to who? To the needy. And also who is mentioned? Asir, prisoner. Who is a prisoner? A non-Muslim, right? So what do we learn? That those who are suffering, regardless of their faith, we have to help them. So how is it possible that our own Muslim brothers and sisters are suffering and we don't even make dua? We don't even think about financially helping them. A little bit even. So please, do something. Remember we learned earlier, وَاتَّقُوا fitnatan. Fear the trial, which will not necessarily affect only those who do wrong among you. One day, 
it'll affect you also. One day, the same thing can happen to you also. We think we're living in this part of the world and we have the money that we need and we're fine. But the thing is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the giver of the blessings and He's also the taker of the blessings. He's also the one who can change our situation. And if we don't rise up, if we don't strive for others, then tomorrow we could be the ones who are suffering. وَالْعِيَادُ billah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to test to see who is it that will strive. And secondly, He's going to test people to see who is it? وَلَمْ يَتَّخِذُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلَا رَسُولِهِ وَلَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلِيجَةً Who is it that will take only Allah, His Messenger, and the believers as walija? Walija is from the root letters waw, lam, jim. Walaja, yaliju. What does that mean? To enter. Like for example, tuliju layla finnaha. You cause the night to enter into the day. And wuluj is basically to enter into a small, narrow place. Or rather, to enter through a narrow opening. Like for example, تُولِجُ اللَّيْلَ فِي النَّهَارِ When the night comes in, or rather when the day comes in, then you see the crack of dawn. Alright? And the light, it comes in from a very narrow place in the horizon. And then gradually, as the sun comes up, the light spreads. Okay? From the same root, the word is for a cave, where people take shelter when they're passing through mountains. A cave or a small opening somewhere in the mountains. Why? In order to take shelter from bad weather. Have you ever taken shelter from, let's say, rain, heavy rain? Hmm? What do you go under? What do you go under? Anything. Even if it's something very small. Like for example, an umbrella. How small is it? Sometimes it's really small. Sometimes you see people, you know, they've put something on their heads, like a plastic bag or something, protecting themselves from rain. Right? So, Walija is basically a close, intimate friend whom you have allowed access to the most hidden and private parts of your life, of your heart. Meaning, your confidant, your intimate friend. There are many things about your life that you don't let everybody know of. Isn't that so? Like for example, some people they hide their age. Right? Some people, they hide their family background. Right? Or let's say they are not happy about something in their lives, so they don't want others to find out about it. Correct? But we see that people who will not tell their age to anyone, they might tell their age to who? Their best friend. Or someone who is really, really close to them. You understand? So Walija is who? Not those thousand people whom you've stated as friends online, okay? Who's Walija? Who is very, very close to you? Someone who knows about the most intimate affairs of your life, okay? The most private matters of your life, of your heart, your feelings. You understand? Like for example, if a person has doubts about something, hmm? you think they're, they're just going to go tell anybody? No. They're going to discuss with who? Someone who is really close to them. Someone whom they trust. So what do we learn over here? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to test the believers to see who is it that takes only Allah, 
his messenger and the believers as his closest friends. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will test us through difficulties to see who does jihad. And he's going to test us in the matter of love. Who is it that we love the most? Who is it that we love the most? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to test us. Because in theory, it is correct to say, I love Allah. If I ask you, who do you love the most? What's the correct answer? What's the correct answer? Allah. Correct? But we see that many times we say it, but in our heart there's something else. Isn't that so? In our heart there's something else. We say, I love the Prophet wasallam. But in our hearts, who is it that we actually love? Some person whom we watch on the television, maybe. Huh? Or some person whose books that we read. Possible, right? We look up to them, we admire them so much. We watch every single movie that they've participated in. Right? Because we love them. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to test people with regards to their love also. Now, remember the context of these verses. Yesterday we learned about how the announcements were made in Makkah after the conquest that from this year onwards, no mushrik is going to come to Makkah for hajj. Next year, no more mushrikeen. Mushrikeen have four months of grace period. Either they can leave Arabia or if they choose to remain here, then they have to conform to Islam in the sense that they have to accept it. And we discussed the reasons why this was done. Now, the eradication of shirk, the eradication of the people of shirk from Arabia, remember it had many, many repercussions on the Arab society. First of all, it meant that the system of governance is now going to be changed completely. Before, what was it? Tribalism. Correct? It was tribalism. And amongst the tribes also, the most noble tribes were those in power. Like for example, the Quraysh. They were in power. Whatever they said, that happened. Others respected them. But with the eradication of shirk, it meant that now, the Quraysh don't have power necessarily. Who has power? The leader of the Muslims. And who is going to be the leader of the Muslims? The most pious, the most knowledgeable amongst the Muslims. Correct? At the time of the Prophet ﷺ, obviously it was him. After him, it was Abu Bakr, Umar, Ali, radiallahu anhu. Right? One after the other. So we see that with the eradication of shirk, it was a complete transformation of the Arab society. Political system was no longer the same. Social norms and values changed. Cultural practices changed. All of these things that were in place for such a long time were now going to disappear. And you might think, yes, that's a good thing. Like for example, in any place, when there's a revolution, many changes happen, right? And in a way, it's a positive thing. But for people who have been living in that way for so long, remember, it's very difficult for them to accept those changes. It's very difficult for them to accept those changes. Now we see that this change meant that every Muslim was now at war with who? Every mushrik. Even if that mushrik was your own brother or your father, or your cousin, or your relative, whoever it may be, in any way, he was at war with you. Likewise, it meant that no mushrik could now come to Makkah. And if no mushrik could now come to Makkah, then what about the trade that used to happen before? 
the business that happened before. So the Muslims, they were being tested with regards to their love. For many believers, it was not difficult. Umar anhu, Abu Bakr anhu, it was only making them happy that finally this change is coming. Because the level of their faith was very high. But there were others who were a little hesitant. That what do you mean? This tribe is not going to be allowed to come to Makkah anymore? What about our business? What about our trade? What's going to happen? What do you mean? No person can do tawaf around the house naked anymore? Because that was something that had been happening for so long. So these changes were difficult for some people to accept. They had emotional attachments. You understand? But iman demanded that you love Allah and that which Allah loves. And you hate what Allah hates. Iman demands that your love and hate will be dictated by what? Your love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now it's not based on your relationship with someone. Now it's not based on your past history, your culture, your norms. No. Now it's all different. Everything is going to be according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala dictates, what He says. And this was difficult for some people. You know, this is just like a person may be doing something wrong in their life. And then eventually they do tawbah. They say, I'm going to leave it. Hmm? Even when you leave it, there's still some kind of emotional attachment with your past. Let me give you an example. Someone who has been listening to music. Okay? And not just listening to music randomly, but they are obsessed with it. So that means that they have records and they have CDs and they have tapes and they have their playlists. Okay? That they spend a lot of money to make. They put in a lot of effort to compile. Okay? Now they decide, that's it, no more. So they stop. They stop listening to music. And when they see those records, when they see those playlists, they're like, yeah, they're still here. But the thing is that when you love Allah, it means that you hate what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hates. And that means that you must get rid of that sinful thing. People can leave music, but you know what they don't want to leave? Those records, those playlists. Pressing the delete button is very difficult. It's very difficult. Why? Because there's emotional attachment to it. Even though you realize it's wrong, I shouldn't be doing it, and you no longer do it. But the fact is that one day you spent money to buy it. One day you were so happy to have it. One day you put all of them together and you were so proud of your collection and now you're being told to get rid of it? That's difficult. This is just like a person buys a house on haram money and then what happens later on? They realize this is wrong and they want to get out of it. But the thing is they love that house. They don't want to give it up. They want to give up the haram loan, but they don't want to give up the house. Why? There is emotional attachment to it. Likewise, the Muslims also, they had some emotional attachment with their culture, with the people, even though there was difference of faith. So this is why there was a bit of hesitation on their part. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you think you'll be left like that? Untested? This is a test of faith. This is a test of love. Prove your love for Allah. 
Prove your love for the messenger. Prove your love for the believers. Wallahu khabirun bima ta'amalun. And Allah is watching whatever that you do. Let's listen to the recitation. أَمْ حَسِبْتُمْ أَن تُتْرَكُوا وَلَمَّا يَعْلَمِ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ جَاهَدُوا مِنْكُمْ وَلَمْ يَتَّخِذُوا مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ وَلَا رَسُولِهِ وَلَا الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلِيْجَهُ وَاللَّهُ خَبِيرٌ بِمَا تَعْمَلُونَ 